If you have your Bibles today, open up with me to the book of Luke. Chapter 11 is where we are today. I want you to think with me this morning as we begin looking at this passage of Scripture of what it means to be a Christian. But even more so, and even beyond that, what it means to be a good Baptist. Right? So we're not just Christian, we're Baptist, right? What distinguishes us from other believers in Christ? We like to eat a lot, right? That's the first thing that comes to mind. I'm sure it came to your mind, right? I mean, there are things that are Baptist distinctives theologically, and those things we hold important, or else we'd be in another church this morning, maybe. But beyond the theological distinctives, there are a great many traditions that we have as a people that define who we are, one of which is we like to eat. We like to eat every time we get together. We like to have potlucks. We like to have pie suppers. We like to have pizza, all-you-can-eat pizza things for our youth and hot dog suppers for our kids. And we like to have, you know, all kinds of other little get-togethers, whether it be ice cream socials and everything in between. We like to eat. But there are other things about us that make us distinct and different. Over the years, we've gained a reputation for some of these things. I mean, we all know we grew up uh, ridiculed in some way, teased in some way, because Baptists don't dance, right? Uh, so if you're a Baptist, you don't dance. You don't go with girls that do, right? Uh, that's just who we are as Baptist people. There was a big news down uh, a while back. Uh, it's been about 15 years ago now or so that Baylor had dancing on campus for the first time. I and mean, we had had dances for a long time. We just couldn't have them on campus. Every organization would have a dance, advertise it on campus, but they'd have to go off campus to do it because you couldn't have dancing on campus. See, So there may be a reason that certain types of dancing are not so good for us, but dancing is not inherently evil in and of itself, is it? Neither is eating unless you overeat, right, which we've been guilty of that as well. But there are some things that make us unique and different. But beyond just Baptists as evangelicals, oftentimes uh, there are things over the years that we have known, things over the years that we have done that have made us uh, distinct as well. We've had pastors who have stood up in the pulpit, beat upon the pulpit and said, don't you watch that vile box in your living room, right? Don't you watch television. You watch television, you're going to hell, right? You've heard preachers probably say it, some of you older guys. Or you say, don't you go to the movie house. You go to that vile movie house, you're going to hell, right? But is there anything inherently evil about the television set? Is there anything inherently evil about movies? Now, we've watched some good TV, right? And there, are, there are some good things on TV. The Rangers are going to be on at 1.15 today, right, Jeff? And so we'll watch that. Not everything that comes on there is evil. Not everything is bad for our soul, but some things are, right? But we've known folks who have stood up in a pulpit and say, no TV whatsoever because it's evil. And we've known places and we've known uh, pastors, known, known of preachers that have said, no movies whatsoever because they're all evil and bad for your soul. Back in the 19th century, it was the theater. Don't ever go to the theater. It's an evil place to be, inherently evil. But not every play that's put on is evil in and of itself, is it? You know, the scribes and the Pharisees were the religious leaders of the day, in Jesus' day. And the scribes had come up with a way to define what it meant to be a part of God's people that went well beyond the Bible. 
well beyond the scriptures in the Old Testament. There are a great many traditions that were set up, ceremonial laws that were set up, obligations that were put upon the people that had really nothing to do with God or what it meant to be faithful or what it meant to be holy. They had defined in their mind what it meant to be a Christian. We as Baptists, over the years, we've been guilty of the same thing, is that we have defined what it meant to be Christian, and it looked a whole lot like a Baptist, right? Human beings just have a way of doing that, don't they? Rather than seeing the authority in the Scriptures themselves and finding from God the true definitions of what it means to be a follower, we create in our own mind what it means to be a follower, and it looks a lot like us and what we find convenient to do. These fellows had set up an entire system of obligations to place upon people, and it was very, very difficult to do these things. They themselves were not doing them, but they found loopholes for themselves. We tend to do that as well, don't we? So you shouldn't watch that vile television. You don't know what's right and wrong. I can watch it because I watch Lassie and the Rangers, right? And whatever I watch must be okay, but I can't trust you to do that. So I'm telling you don't do it, but don't do as I do. Do as I say. I know difference, the difference between good and bad TV, right? That's really the way the lawyers of the day and the scribes of the day were living their life. They put these horrid obligations on people, would not lift their hand to help them in any way to do those things. They really were no encouragement to them to do those things because they themselves did not follow their own rules. And these scribes, they were the intellectual leaders of the day. They had a responsibility to teach the truth. They had a responsibility to prepare the people and help them to be ready to see and accept the Messiah when he came. And here he was, Jesus And they had not lived up to their responsibilities. They had unbelief in their heart and rejected him as the Messiah. And they were leading the people astray. So Jesus deals with them here in this passage of Scripture. We saw some of the ways he dealt with the Pharisees last week. We see some of the ways that he deals with the scribes. These folks who had set up their own system. These folks who had missed the Messiah through their own misinterpretation of the Scriptures. They had set up their own system of what it meant to be holy and to be a follower of God. This whole list of obligations and ceremonial law. They themselves did not follow it, but they commanded and instructed others to do the same or to do what they said rather than what they did, I should say. And Jesus was disgusted by this. Jesus was troubled by this. He said, you guys are missing me. You are missing the truth. You are missing the life. One of the lawyers answered him and said, Teacher, in saying these things that you said to the Pharisees, you insult us. That's the way religious people respond when you challenge them, isn't it? People who are steeped in legalism and tradition and extra-biblical material, when you challenge them, they become insulted. How dare you challenge what Grandma taught me? Right? Isn't that how it works? How dare you challenge what I've been taught all my life? It was good enough for Peter. It was good enough for Jesus. It's good enough for me, right? It might not have had anything to do with Peter. It might not have anything to do with Jesus. But give me that old-time religion. It doesn't really matter if that old-time religion is true or not in some folks' mind. Now, I want you to understand there is one baptism, one faith, one God, one Father of all. Okay? 
There's nothing wrong with the old-time religion when it is truly the old-time religion. As long as we have not created it in our own image and made it something that it isn't. But when you challenge folks, when you challenge them that their old-time religion might not be the truth, they become insulted. These folks were offended. And we see at the end of the passage that that, by the time Jesus was through with them, the scribes and the Pharisees made a pact. Said, we're going after this guy, we're going to get him, and we're going to kill him. And from that moment on, they worked together to lead Jesus and make sure that he found his way to the cross. Jesus said, woe to you lawyers. You burden the people down. You load the people down with burdens hard to bear. And you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. What does this mean? He said, you guys build the tombs of the prophets and you venerate them. And you say, if we'd been alive, we wouldn't have killed them. And yet you have rejected the revelation of the Father in your generation, just as your parents did in theirs. And so you are just as guilty as them because you have rejected the revelation of God to hold on to a religion of your own that you built, just like your fathers did, your forefathers did. They created a religion they wanted to follow. They rejected the word of God. They rejected his prophets, the revelation of the father to them in their generation. They killed the prophets. And you yourselves are just like them. And they proved him right in that they had united together by the end of this passage in their intent to kill him, the Messiah. What an amazing passage of scripture. But what does it mean for us? What does it mean for you and what does it mean for me? Well, you know what Jesus is really getting at here, don't you? He's getting at the true meat of the gospel. What Paul defines for us in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 that we know so well. It's by grace that we are saved through our faith, not of our works, lest any man should boast, lest any woman should boast that it is of their own doing. See, what Jesus wanted them to understand is it is not about this religion that you create. It's not about this sense of obligation. It's not about something you earn from God. It is not about even your own perceived holiness and righteous activity. It is by me and faith in me that you are saved. It is by grace through faith alone. He's saying, you come to me and I will save you. And you've made it hard for people to come to me because of this religion, this system that you have created that has made it difficult. Your unbelief, your misapplication of the scriptures, your misunderstanding of them, your false teaching. This whole system you've created has made it difficult for people to come to the truth. And that is you can be saved if you will have faith in the Messiah and I am he. That's really what Jesus is getting at here. He says, woe to you guys who've made it difficult for people to come. Woe to you who have loaded folks up with burdens and you've offered no help to them. What is the help? The help is the Messiah. Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you what? Give you more to do. Give you a job in the church and help you to do those things till you die. Weary, tired, and collapsing. Right? No, he says, I'll give you rest. I'll give you rest. You know what? 
There are some things you shouldn't watch on TV, some movies you shouldn't go see, books you shouldn't read. But guess who will teach you the difference between those you can and cannot see and those you can and cannot watch and those you can and cannot read? It will be the Holy Spirit of the living God as you walk with Him by grace through faith. It's not a religious system to follow in order to meet God as holy. God makes me holy, keeps me holy, and makes me want to be holy because of the relationship I have with Him and the Holy Spirit at work within me. It becomes easy. How do you make someone's burden light? You bring them to Jesus. You bring them to Jesus Christ. You say, listen, all of these obligations and all these many things that you believe you need to do in order to meet God, you need to just lay those things aside and come to Jesus, and He will make you His kind of person. You'll have a new desire in your heart to do things He wants you to do. You'll have a new desire to be the person He wants you to be. And you will naturally begin to walk in those things in obedience to the Holy Spirit. And although you may be tempted and although you may be tried, and although there may be a day when you slip and fall, there's grace for you and power over and victory over sin that you will walk in. Isn't that something? Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that great? Isn't that good news? God gives us what we need, not what we deserve. And what we need is grace and the faith to follow him. You know, Charles Spurgeon was a pastor that lived in the 19th century. Famous guy. Some of you guys know he is. Some of you guys that may be younger may not know. He was known as the Prince of the Preachers, right? Prince of the Preachers. Even to this day, he's known as that because he's a fantastic preacher. Sermons have been written down in books. You can read them today. But Charles had a contemporary, a pastor by the name of Joseph Parker in London. Both had churches there. And on one occasion, Parker commented from the pulpit on the poor condition of the children admitted to Spurgeon's orphanage. But it had got back to Spurgeon that he had not commented on the children, but on the orphanages themselves, calling Spurgeon's orphanages poorly run or that they were in poor condition rather than the children who were going therein. Spurgeon blasted Parker from the pulpit the next week. Can you imagine that? He was mad. Prince of the preachers, not perfect. Let his temper get the best of him, got in the pulpit, and just blasted this guy the next week. Just blasted him. Word got back to Parker. People flocked to Parker's church the next Sunday to hear his rebuttal. They wanted to hear what he would say in response to what Spurgeon had spoken about him. And he said this from the pulpit. He said, I understand Dr. Spurgeon is not in his pulpit today. And this is the Sunday that they take an offering for the orphanage. I suggest that we take a love offering here Instead, crowd was delighted. They took up an offering. The plates were so full, they emptied them, had to pass them again. Plates filled up, they emptied them, had to pass them again. Three times they had to pass the plates because there was such an offering and an outpouring for Spurgeon's orphanages. Later than week, later that week, there was a knock on Parker's study, and it was Spurgeon. He said, you know, Parker, you've practiced grace on me. He said, you've given me what I, not what I deserved. You've given me what I needed. You know, these scribes were teaching people to do these things so that they would deserve something from God. But you know what? It doesn't matter how hard you work. It doesn't matter what you do doesn't matter how many obligations that I would stand in a pulpit and put upon you. You will never deserve anything from God. I will never deserve anything from God. It is by God's 
grace that we are saved. It is by God's grace that we have relationship with Him. It is by God's grace that we are still saved. I want you to understand something with me this morning in this very simple, simple sermon. God's grace, if you want to get technical or have some type of technical definition, it is God's unmerited favor poured out upon us because of His generosity, because of the love He finds for us in His own heart, because of His own character and ability to love, He has poured out upon us favor that there is no way we could ever have earned for ourselves or ever deserve in any capacity. God, in His own character, because of who He is, He decided to love us. And you are not lovable. And I am not lovable. There is no good thing in me even today. I have been Walking with the Lord for a while now, and yet still in myself there is nothing lovable. Nothing. I don't care how good a guy you are in this room. I don't care how kind you are. I don't care how much your wife loves you or your husband loves you. When it comes to God, in us there is no good thing apart from Him. And nothing lovable apart from Him. Because sin has completely, totally tainted us. It is only in our relationship with Him that we are found to be worthy, lovable, and His own. When you came to a point, if you have, to where you are saved from your sin and saved from the power of sin over your life, if you have this morning become a follower of Jesus and a disciple of His, you have done so because of God's grace and His grace alone. It is because of God's grace that you have the opportunity to be made into the likeness of Christ. That He has made you His own. But not only that, Christian, need to understand this. The burdens are not heaped upon you after you're saved. To where after that moment of salvation where you entered into this relationship, you will now earn God's continued favor. No. You are saved by grace and you are continued to be saved by grace. You're still unworthy apart from Christ. And you can never be made worthy apart from Christ. There's nothing you can do for yourself. There's no way to clean yourself up good enough to where you no longer need the blood of Christ. Where you no longer are defined by Jesus. See, we are saved by grace and the love of God. And we continue to be saved by grace and the love of God. And you know what? Even the capacity you have to believe that is an act of God's grace. You say, well, you're sounding like a Calvinist. I'm not a Calvinist. I'm just biblical. Okay? Right, Chuck? It's just biblical. It's just biblical. See, the capacity we have to believe is a grace God gave us. The mind you have that you think with is a grace that God has given you. The ability to put two and two together, grace. The ability to button your own shirt, grace. The ability to feed yourself, God's grace. The ability to speak, God's grace. The ability to be self-aware, God's grace. Everything that we have and everything we're able to do is a product of God's grace, which has come from His great love for us. So we're saved by grace. The capacity to be saved was grace. And we are continued to be saved by grace. And someday we all are going to take our last breath here. We're going to leave this earth. We're going to go stand before Him in heaven. We will be saved there 
by grace. It all happens by grace. God's unmerited favor from the heart of a loving God who loved the unlovable and sent his son to die for us. You know, so often we have been guilty and we have been defined as Baptists in that we have tried to shape and mold people into our tradition and by our behavior. You know, it makes us no different than Waylon Jennings and Johnny Cash, don't you? So where is he going now? I told a couple pastor friends of mine this morning, I said I was going to do this and bring this up as illustration today. I said, this either makes me a heretic or it makes me cool. I know it's not a heretic because there's nothing heretical in what I'm going to say. I don't know if it makes me cool or not. That'll have to be your decision today. Some folks will drop their children off and say, I just want the church to teach them to be a good person. Some folks think that we're about morality. Some have accused us recently of being moral deists. We believe in God, but it is really just simply moral, moral teaching or morality that really, at the end of the day, where we find ourselves or find our, our true being, our meaning, or the, the who we are kind of question is answered by our morality. And you know, you should be changed. But morality is something the world can teach you. Morality is even something you can find in prison. You see, there was a song Waylon Jennings did with Johnny Cash some years ago, and it was about, you know, it's these guys write about going to prison. This fellow, that was supposedly the song was about, says, I, he was in prison. He said, I bet mama is there cooking chicken and blah, 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 wishing I was there. And he said, Johnny Cash comes on and says, don't worry, mama. They're teaching us a lot of good things here. Teaching us a lot of great things here in jail. And we're becoming a better person and everything is going to be all right. And here's what he said. He said, there ain't no good in an evil-hearted woman. And I ain't cut out to be no Jesse James. This is what they're teaching him in jail. And you don't go riding hot checks down in Mississippi. And there ain't no good chain gang. Right? Waylon Jennings can teach you morality. Some of you really wishing I'd sung that this morning, aren't you? There ain't no, I'm teasing, I'm not going to do it this morning. But you know, Waylon Jennings can teach you morality. Johnny Cash can teach you morality. You can learn morality anywhere, and I'm not picking on Johnny Cash or Waylon Jennings. All right, I'm not saying you should never listen to anything they ever did. But what I'm saying this morning is if all we're about is morality, we have nothing better, nothing more to teach than anyone else. But what we have to teach is this. And what we have to share is this is something called the gospel. And it's good news. And this good news will change your life. If you can come to the place that you recognize it is all about him. It is all an act of a loving God. You know what? If he's not acting on me, if he's not saving me, I'm lost forever because I'll never be good enough, never do enough. And I know in myself... That I am lost unless he saves me by his grace. See, we've got something more to teach. We've got something more to say. We're not heaping burdens on people, no. We're not just putting more obligations on people, not at all. What we have to offer people is something very, very different than Waylon Jennings can give them or Johnny Cash in a good country song. We have God's grace 
His unmerited favor by His infinite love poured out richly upon us. He saves us, gives us the capacity to know and to accept Him and to receive Him. And then we walk with Him by that grace. We continue to be saved by that grace. And then someday we go to heaven and we are saved eternally in heaven by that grace. Isn't that wonderful? Do you know God's grace? Do you know God's grace? I had a fellow tell me one time, said, a man has to come to the place where he's in his 40s to really understand that he can't do it himself. I wonder sometimes if that's true. But I know a lot of folks who are well beyond 40 who still haven't learned this important lesson. And I may know a few people that are far younger than 40 who may have. You see, what it really comes down to is a point to where you say, I cannot be a self-made man. I cannot be a self-made woman. I cannot find God on my own, on my own terms by what I do and don't do. It is by God's grace. So have you met God's grace? Have you met God's grace? Have you met Him? Or have you just met the Baptist church? Have you just met the church? Have you just met church people? Or did you just meet Grandma's theology one day? Pick on Grandma a lot. It's not just Grandma. Did you find the Christ of grace Or did you find the Christ of someone who was pounding on a pulpit telling you what to do and not to do and you could be received by God? Are you living by grace? Are you walking in grace? Are you walking in the freedom of God's grace? Let me tell you, unless you are and until the day you do, you will be miserable. And I don't care if you're saved or not, you'll live as a miserable Christian. Because there is probably no more miserable person in all of life than someone who knows Jesus Christ as their Savior, yet refuses to walk by faith in the grace of the one that they were saved by. Always thinking they fall short. Always feeling they can never measure up. Always feeling that they can never be good enough. All the while God said, I made you good enough. Walk as the good person you are. Tell my son, I say, you're a good boy. Act like a good boy. Now, he's a sinner. Needs to be saved someday, right? As soon as he understands the gospel, I pray every day. As soon as he understands the gospel. So defining that word good, he's not good in God's eyes till he's saved. And he said, wow, say that about your son. I know your son. How are we going to define good? We define good as someone who knows Jesus, right? He's still a good boy love him very much and he's still covered by God's grace right now so he is a good boy but to truly be good we have to be a part of God's family and there's going to come that day it's going to come that day when he'll be old enough to receive God's grace for himself no longer is he covered by God's grace as he is today he'll be covered by God's grace because he's received Jesus as his savior and lord see You are good because of what Christ has done for you, not anything else. So do you know God's grace? Do you know God's grace? And are you living in God's grace? If you haven't, then by all means do. Let's pray together.